This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about politics, policy, and for this episode, the 2023 statewide ballot. I'm Benta Berkland. In our previous episode, we spent nearly a half hour talking about Proposition HH, trying to explain what it does, how it got on your ballot, who's supporting it, and who's not. One thing I can tell you about this episode, it's going to be a lot shorter and hopefully less complicated. I hope so. (laughs) That's CPR's education reporter, Jenny Brundine, who it just occurred to me, Jenny, you are joining us on Purplish for the first time. That is true. And I am super excited. Well, we are very glad to have you. And you're here because you've been tracking the other thing that everyone's going to see on their ballot this fall, Proposition II. Yeah, that's right. So could you start off maybe by just reading what people will see on their ballots? Okay, here's the language. Without raising taxes, may the state retain and spend revenues from taxes on cigarettes, tobacco, and other nicotine products, and maintain tax rates on cigarettes, tobacco, and other nicotine products, and use these revenues to invest $23,650,000 to enhance the Voluntary Colorado Preschool Program and make it widely available for free instead of reducing these tax rates and refunding revenues to cigarette wholesalers, tobacco product distributors, nicotine products distributors, and other taxpayers for exceeding an estimate included in the ballot information booklet for Proposition EE. Thank you, Jenny. That's a mouthful. And yeah, we just wanted to trial by fire your first episode and we make you read this language. Didn't stumble. You sounded great. Can you explain it more simply, though? What does Proposition II do? Apparently, it doesn't raise taxes. Right. And this goes back to Proposition EE that voters passed three years ago. That raised taxes, starting in 2021, on cigarettes and other nicotine and vaping products. So starting this year, the money raised from the tax pays for the state's new universal preschool program. And this is where Prop II comes in. Because that tax has raised about $23 million more than it was projected to, this year, Proposition II asks voters to let the state keep that extra $23 million in tax revenue for preschools instead of refunding it to tobacco wholesalers and distributors. And the reason this is necessary is because of Colorado's Constitution, specifically the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. It requires that if voters approve a new tax and more revenue is collected over what was projected, then voters have to decide again what to do with that extra money. So state lawmakers put this question on this false ballot. Yeah, that's right. And I'll note that Prop EE, which, as I said, started all this, passed by a lot. About two-thirds of voters said yes for this tobacco increase. What's kind of interesting, though, is I went back and looked at the bill that put Proposition II on the ballot to keep the additional money, and it was not bipartisan. All of the sponsors were Democrats, and the votes on the bill were pretty much party line. This is an important measure to uh, really, truly understand the will of the voters. They supported Proposition EE with a resounding vote from across this state, supporting universal preschool in their communities. 
By referring this measure to the voters, we ask them to affirm that commitment to universal preschool. I don't like that sleight of hand. I, I just don't. Um, I don't mind if we tell the voters, hey, we're going to tax you. Are you okay with this? And they say yes or no. If we say we're doing something for schools, yes or no. But when we overcollect, what's to stop us in the future from, from kind of doing business the same way? So given that Republican lawmakers don't feel the state should try to hold on to this additional tax revenue than what was projected, do the opponents have any organized opposition, an opposition campaign? No, but in the blue book, the arguments against it include the fact that voters already spoke about the level that they were comfortable with in 2020, the level of taxation. And so the extra tax expands it beyond what voters originally supported. And the guide also notes that this is a regressive tax. Raising taxes on tobacco and nicotine products harms people suffering from addiction and using tobacco products who are disproportionately low income. Okay, and that's basically what we heard from Republicans. Right. And I should mention on the pro side, people supporting this measure, analysts note that there are decades of research showing that high quality preschool improves multiple outcomes throughout a child's life. Higher wages, higher graduation rates, fewer criminal convictions. Proponents also argue higher tax rates help deter people from smoking and using vaping tobacco products. Let's talk a little bit about EE the underlying tax. It was a way for Colorado to raise the money needed to launch universal preschool. And of course, that's why you as our education reporter are paying close attention to this. Yes, I've been spending a lot of time lately covering the start of universal preschool program. And starting this year, every family in the state with a four-year-old and some at-risk three-year-olds can get between 10 and 30 hours of free preschool a week. So so far, more than 38,000 four-year-olds and several thousand more three-year-olds are participating. The state estimates the program is saving families around $6,000 a year. So what happens if people vote against Proposition II? If they tell the state, look, the state cannot keep this extra tobacco tax money. If voters say no, the excess tax revenue would be refunded to tobacco and nicotine distributors, and the tax on those products would drop 11.5%. Again, if voters say yes, the tax rates will stay at their current levels, and that $23 million would go to preschools. And if that excess happens in future years, the money would also go to preschools. Do we have any idea what this additional $23, $24 million would mean for the preschool program? Yeah, I crunched the numbers, and that's about 7 to 8% of the total program's budget. And proponents of the measure say that extra tax revenue will allow thousands more children access to extra hours in preschool, particularly students with disabilities, children living in poverty, in foster care, or who are homeless. They're not providing details about how many families or hours this could translate into, but the funding for this program is pretty complicated, so maybe that's not so surprising. I know you've been covering the rollout of Universal Preschool, and how has it been going? 
This last year has been a wild ride. The good news is everyone seems united on the fact that thousands more families have access to free preschool. But overall, the rollout was pretty rocky. It had to be done super fast in under a year. School districts and some private providers report that hundreds of low-income or homeless families, families whose native language isn't English, were used to showing up at their school district and getting enrolled instantly. Under this new universal preschool program, they couldn't do that. So they were having to enroll online, is that right? That's right. It's a state-operated online system. Those families found this matching system confusing and bureaucratic. Because districts don't have direct access to the matching system, they reported hundreds of families either got lost in the system or were unable to enroll in schools by the start of the school year. And they also have serious issues that the system doesn't allow them to meet the needs of students with disabilities in the way that they're used to. These problems were so large that school districts filed a lawsuit against the state. Their bottom line is they want to help fix the system. The state, meantime, says it is working with providers to fix all these issues and things should be smoother next year. You said everyone's united that this is getting more children into preschool. But not every preschool is participating, right? Yes. Some religious preschools are unhappy because to qualify for the program, a school has to adhere to the state's anti-discrimination provisions. But some schools, like those run by the Catholic Archdiocese, have provisions around not employing openly LGBTQ staff because that doesn't conform with their religious views on sexuality and gender. And that disqualifies them from UPK. They've gone to court to try to strike down that restriction in the program. And there are also other families whose preschools, for whatever reason, decided not to enroll in universal preschool. And they've been frustrated that they either have to forego the support or switch programs. But it's important to keep in mind that both of these objections cover a very small number of schools and families compared to the nearly 50,000 families who are part of the universal preschool program at this point. Well, thanks, Jenny. A little bit shorter than our previous episode and maybe a little less complicated, but still lots of nuances here. And thanks for joining us for Purplish. You're welcome. If you want more information about either Proposition II or Proposition HH, we have a very useful voter guide at CPR.org. You can also find answers to lots of questions about voting and election security there. That's it for this episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with special guest for this episode, education reporter Jenny Brundine. We'll be back in your podcast feeds when the legislature starts in January. So if you're not already a subscriber, sign up to make sure you don't miss it. And if you're enjoying Purplish, please recommend us to your friends. This is Purplish from CPR News.